0: Welcome to episode 63 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer-director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inestrosa, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the show, we'll be taking a look at Lost, season 5, episodes 8 through 10. The first episode up in that batch is the episode entitled La
1: floor. So the first episode up is mostly all on island action. I don't think we leave the island during this whole episode and where it starts is where we left Sawyer before Locke turns the wheel as he's in the well and we see that Locke turns the wheel. And as he does this, it creates some sort of grand, massive flash. And as this is happening, we see a gigantic statue in the background and everyone jumps in time. And when they get to the new spot, they start to agree that that flash felt different and that maybe whatever Locke has done has stopped them Skipping through time. So the headaches are gone, the nosebleeds, nobody's going to die anymore because the island has stabilized, which is something that, you know, has been a, a big issue this entire season was this sickness that was happening because the island was destabilized. So this episode, in the early goings, we find out whatever Locke did stabilized the island, but where it is stabilized, is in 1974. And Sawyer, Jin, Juliet, this whole band of people run up to the others, basically the Dharma initiative. Um, you know, pre pre us calling them the others, but the Dharma initiative, and they realize that they're gonna have to come up with some sort of cover story because. They want to live with these people or at least get some sort of shelter and food, but they can't just say, oh, we're time travelers. So a lot of that falls on this so- on Sawyer's shoulders. And he introduces himself as Jim LaFleur, his new alias, which is the title of this episode. So I was very interested to see that we are done time jumping and even, you know, a little bit. Upset that where they stopped is so far in the past from everyone else.
0: I like the fact that they were essentially trapped in time. This aspect of this particular season. The one thing that I loved about it is that once they realized where they were and once they came upon the people from the Dharma Initiative, we get to see that battle between the people... Uh, from the Dharma Initiative and the others. I mean, there's one scene in this episode where Richard basically comes to, to the houses where the Dharma Initiative lives. And puts a, a flame in the ground like saying, this is our territory, do not cross. You find out all about a treaty that the Dharma Initiative made with the others. Somehow that treaty has been broken. And I love the fact that in this episode, we get to find out more about a specific character that we've seen previously by the name of Horace. I really love this episode because it showed us events that we've seen previously from different angles.
1: We do see things that we've heard about from like a different side and seeing that Dharma and the others have a truce and have this agreement. And that comes out because Sawyer and our team had to kill some people uh, to get to the Dharma group. And so they buried the bodies and Dharma is like, well, you guys are going to get us in trouble because these others are going to think that we broke the truths. And I love that Sawyer's like, let me handle this shit, I got it. And And he tells Richard like, you know, I killed them because it was self-defense and I had to, but I'm not part of this group. So like they didn't break the truce. It's it's still holding because I'm not them and I'm not you. And Richard's like, OK, but we still require justice. Um, So I did like that we're seeing these weird dynamics that we only roughly knew about. And now it's fleshing that out and. Yeah, you mentioned Horace is a guy that we have getting to know more and realizing that he is a bit of a drunk. He does have a kid on the way. And when this episode starts where the time skipping is stabilized, a lot of the action is 1974. But then where most of the action ends is actually 1977. So we do jump ahead three years. And in this three years is where all of our losties have become part of Dharma. So Jim LaFleur Sawyer is like the head of security for this. And him and Juliet live together. They have a house. They have had this relationship that. We are now three years on, so we don't know all the details of how they came together, but we get the the broad strokes. And it really is interesting to find our characters settled down for three years. And they aren't worrying about survival. They've made a life for themselves. And Sawyer does have that moment where he is recalling past loves and how at first he couldn't forget and then now he can barely remember their face and all of this is just laying the intrigue leading up to the big ending um of this episode that shakes things up and throws a wrench into this little house on the prairie that they've all made by being in the this initiative and settling down for three years and being quite content to just live their lives and not worry about getting off the island or getting back to their time.
0: I really actually liked watching Juliet and James play house since day one, when Juliet came on the show, I've been waiting for this since Juliet has shown up. You've been trying to figure out why you like Juliet in the first place. How do you
1: feel about her? Now that she is sort of in her end game. Well, and I like her a lot more now that we have established that her and Sawyer have a thing. So because Sawyer is a character that I care about, the fact that she loves Sawyer and he loves her makes me like her more. So I do think also this season, she hasn't been in it as much. And when she has been in it, she hasn't been manipulative and hasn't had a double agent agenda, which she has had in the previous seasons. So it's made me more on board with team Juliet.
0: What did you think of Juliet deciding to let go of medicine? Because basically every time that Juliet touches any woman who is pregnant on the Island in any sort of medical fashion, she dies. But in this episode, because the wife of Horace is pregnant, she is basically forced into delivering A child on the island. She hasn't been a a practicing uh, medical doctor in quite some time.
1: Yeah, that was really interesting because we do know that when she was with the others, a lot of her time was spent trying to figure out why pregnant women die on the island, why that kind of stuff doesn't go good. So it makes sense that that trauma would make her want to step back from medicine. But yes, in this episode, as uh Amy, played by Rico Aylsworth from 24, uh, is giving birth, Juliet has to step in reluctantly. Um, and that sort of goes to her her code of, you know, do no harm. But it makes sense to me that she would quit medicine because she's been through the ringer so much with it. But then When push comes to shove, she can't let someone possibly die or certainly not have a a baby um, be in danger. So that also was a nice endearing moment.
0: The last thing that I particularly liked about this episode before we move on is a moment where James drives out into the jungle to reunite with Jack, Kate, and Hurley. And when James comes out of his little Dharma van, just the look on his face when he sees the others specifically freckles specifically Kate I love the piece of music that Michael uses in this moment that piece of music really 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 worked for me and it, and it and it, and it gave the this specific scene so much more punch than it could have with any other
1: piece of music that is a great scene and certainly the highlight of this episode is that after Sawyer has Told us this story about, like, you know, forgetting the face of someone that then he gets, he gets this call and drives frantic and doesn't tell Juliet where he's going. And I love that. And as that music is playing, and I think it's music from season three that they've repurposed, and it was used in the Sawyer and Kate in the cage drama. Um, a piece of music called Romancing the Cage. And I just love that it is a perfect callback because when he does see, first he sees Hurley and Jack and the look on Sawyer's face is great. But then as the camera moves over, finally we can see Kate is there and that's the thing that shocks him to his core. And he does a bit of uh, Alan Grant in Jurassic Park and takes off his glasses in like a fumbling, like, oh my God, what am I seeing kind of way? And perfect moment to end the episode on where, okay, we've now been brought up to speed on what is happening with our on-island losties, and we're seeing that our returning to the island losties are also back in time. So this raises questions going into the next episode. Okay, Jack, Kate, and Hurley are in 1977. Who else is in 1977 and that stuff that we saw with Locke and the survivors of the crash and Ben knocked out. What time period is that in? So great way to end this episode that made me super eager to see what came next.
0: On that note, we move on to the second episode that we're going to talk about this week entitled Namaste. Matt, I have a question for you. Do you think that lightning can strike in the same place twice?
1: Sure. Sure. Seems like it. Sure. Seems like it. So what did you think when everybody is reuniting and Sawyer is realizing they're going to need some sort of cover story because they can't just bring these people back and again, just say like, these are my time traveling friends. And
0: when James is trying to figure out how he's going to explain Jack, Hurley and Kate to his people, basically. It sounds so weird calling the Dharma people James's people. James really takes charge in that moment. We've seen many shades of James, but we haven't seen the shade of James, you know, take charge when Juliet discovers what James is doing. And then Juliet has a great idea of explaining their appearance on the island by faking their names into a manifest because every
1: two weeks a submarine comes to the island with new people. And I do think you're right. That was a really nice moment where Sawyer is obviously kind of in panic mode and Juliet is taking in this information and trying to process it. And she says, yeah, brilliantly, a submarine is scheduled to arrive today. So let's find a way to make it look like they were on it because everyone who's on the sub is knocked out before they're put on the sub. So they won't know. And the people who make the manifest don't stay. So we can hopefully fake this so that we don't raise any red flags. And I love that. And as that's happening, Jin has, you know, found out that everyone is back and he needs to know if Sun is back And what has happened to her. So he rushes over to uh, the flame to see Radzinski, who's building a model. And he's, Jin starts messing with all the electronics. And the guy's like, the hell are you doing? And he says, I need to know, like, did a plane land on the island? And he says, if a plane landed on the island, do you think I'd be building this model? And so that starts to get our, like, mind whirring, like, okay, Wow. where is everyone else we still don't know and now that Jin knows son was trying to come back it's really raised the stakes for him but not knowing where she is when the others are here and they don't know where she is really is disconcerting for him and i i felt bad for him but as they're trying to put this submarine plan into motion I love that there's a part where Juliet is trying to get the manifest from Amy who had the baby the other day and Amy mentions two people dropped out and Juliet then sees Amy with the baby and inquires about the name and they reveal that this motherfucking baby that got born last episode is none other than evil Canadian Ethan. What did you think when that bomb got dropped on us? I loved it so, so much. But that
0: moment just made me smile. I've been noticing I really don't like the people from the Dharma Initiative. I find them to be very, oh, they're just, there's something not right about them. I'm not saying that I'm starting to root for the others. The individuals that we meet in the Dharma Initiative uh, from that guy that was manning the flame from Horace, who we've seen previously, and this other idiot. I, I can't remember his name. the This other idiot who's, who, who is basically like this skinny white pasting guy. He's so
1: awful. And yeah, I don't like a lot of these Dharma people either. And it's partly because people like Redzinski are portrayed as jerks. So they just come off like in everyday situations, as kind of assholes, and it's a little bit tough because we know that Sawyer and Jin and Juliet aren't assholes, but they're living with these people who are just jerks. And as the episode goes on, uh, we do find out Saeed is in this time, and he runs into Jin, and Jin has to pretend that he doesn't know who Saeed is and that he is a hostile. And he gets taken in um, and put into like their jail while they try and figure out what to do with him. And as this is happening, Jack and Kate are being processed and Jack meets up with Pierre Chang. And as all of this is going on and there is a few moments where people are suspicious because some of the things aren't lining up, but they find a way to kind of sweep things under the rug. So by the end of this episode, um, you know Jack and Kate and Hurley are assimilated into the group, and everything is fine. But we do see stuff that is happening back in the future, where we see Caesar and Alana, um, the the aftermath of the plane crash, Frank Lapidus hanging out doing stuff, and them trying to figure out what is going on. And this is where we see that Sun is in the future. So she did not travel back like everyone else. She is not part of that group. So in this, she has dealings with Ben where Ben realizes where they are. So we're going to have to go here. And Sun is going along with it, even though Ben is kind of her arch nemesis. <laughs> And she's going to go along with it until she, you know, finds a way. But there is a weird moment where, after she has teamed up with Ben, they have an encounter with Christian. At the
0: start of this rewatch, I loved Christian. And for the most part, I still love him as a character. But I am so sick of Christian Shepard popping up and saying these cryptic things. If you're going to have a character pop up. Why not show us the wizard instead of showing us the wizard's henchman for God's sakes.
1: We still don't know that this isn't necessarily the wizard. They have mentioned Jacob, but we don't know if the show is ever going to reveal Jacob. So I think that when I was watching it, I just assumed that this Christian is that person. Obviously before that is not the case. So that, Definitely could be frustrating re-watching this.
0: What did you think of the overall um, dynamic of James and uh, Juliet to sort of stay in their little happy bubble? Did, did you think that uh, once they got together, they were going to act like that? Do you think that they were going to be able to settle down and basically have a happy life for as long as they could? Or do you think James is the one that wanted to play house for a while, but
1: Juliet is the one that wanted to stay in this happy bubble forever. I think that they have realized their situation is pretty dire and that you might as well make the best of it. And they didn't think that Locke would be able to succeed in bringing people back to the island. Because even Sawyer is really caught off guard. gardens. Like, I can't believe Locke did it. Where is he? And they're like, he's dead. So I, I do think that They honestly were going to make a go of it because they resigned themselves to the fact that they were trapped in time and had no idea how to get untrapped. And I do think that it's really telling in that moment where Juliet meets Ethan, baby Ethan, um, Amy says to her, like, when are you and LeFleur going to have kids? And she says, you know, maybe sometime when the time is right. So it's like they, they are at this point where they're really settled in and they're waiting for the time to be right. But of course, now that this is all happening, maybe that time will never come and we'll have to wait and see. But I do think that all of that, you know, is very interesting now that we're mostly hanging out in 1977 and the interesting stuff where we find out that now son and Frank know that Jin is back in time because when Christian shows him that photo of 1977 Dharma they're like uh what and he's like yeah i'm sorry you got a bit of a journey ahead of you and that was one of those like how are they going to do this moment and the two highlights outside of that of the episode were when uh, sun smacked ben <laughs> with the ore cuz ben's getting what he deserved and the moment where Saeed is in the the prison cell And a boy comes to visit him, and he's talking and talking, and then the boy introduces himself as young Ben, and the look on Saeed's face as we end the episode, knowing that this little shit is the guy who has caused so much pain and trouble. When
0: I saw that, a question popped into my head that I'm going to ask you in just a couple seconds. We move on to the final episode that we're going to talk about this week, entitled He's Are You. So, Matt, I have this question for you. If you have the opportunity to kill a teenage Hitler,
1: would you do it? And that is the ultimate question that Lost is basically poising in this and having that Saeed, Young Ben dynamic, Young Ben trusts Saeed and starts to like him because everyone on the island is mean to young Ben, probably with just reason because everything we know about Ben suggests that he probably has always been a little shit. So I do love that that is the the main driving question of this episode as it is a more traditional episode with Saeed flashbacks where we see him at different points in his life And find out more about his time working for Ben. But also in that 1977 storyline, Saeed has got it into his mind that he can make all of this go away if he kills young Ben. And the only thing that I was screaming at the TV that really stretches our disbelief is that everything we know about Saeed Jarrah, he would know. The thing that Thanos has known always go for the head.
0: I agree with you one hundred percent. When it when it came to the point where Saeed you know, made up his mind to shoot Ben, I'm like, I'm like, motherfucker, why don't you? All you had to do was aim for his little tiny head, and all of this would have been over. The other thing that I really, really liked about this episode is that you mentioned it uh, just a couple of seconds ago, Matt. We actually go back to the classic format of Lost and we actually see some flashbacks in this episode. And one of the flashbacks that we see, as a matter of fact, it's the first flashback that we see. Um, Saeed, as a little kid, helping out what I assume is one of his brothers kill a chicken. It is, a, it is established that Saeed has always had that killer switch in his head he he has always had that disposition so I think that that backs up everything that he does in this episode for the most part as far as the the very tiny flashbacks that we see of him killing a guy in a suit who tries to bribe him uh, with money and ultimately what he does to young Ben but also, I love the scene in this episode, the people from the Dharma Initiative want to find out if Saeed is, what what is Saeed hiding? And they, they want to make him talk. And since and since he won't talk, obviously, they take him to their version of Saeed. And once they take him to this old guy, this old guy dopes him up and makes him all loopy and shit. And once they, w- once he becomes all lupian shit, he, he tells them basically the truth, but they don't believe it.
1: Yeah. That was really interesting. And I do love the, the title of this episode. He's our you, which is that moment when Saeed is taken to this guy and Sawyer tells him like, I'm sorry, man, I'm going to have to leave you with this guy. Who is he? He's our you. Like you're going to be in for a rough ride here because we've got a torturer and I've been outvoted. Like I can't do any more for you without blowing the whole thing up. And I loved that where we see that, you know, this isn't the first time on loss where Saeed has been in a situation where the tables have been turned on him because he's been tortured before. And he always takes it really well because he does think it is some sort of cosmic karma coming around, but I loved when, you know, he is kind of in this and the guy thinks that maybe he used too much of this drug and Saeed's like laughing and he's like, no, you use just the right amount. And Saeed can still kind of poke and prod at people while he's being poked and prodded, which is an interesting character trait. And yeah, it all stems back to, as you said, In that first flashback, we do see that since he's a young child, if something needs to be done, even if it is unseemly, Saeed can do it. So when his brother is, you know, getting shit from their dad for not being able to do this, Saeed steps in and just does it. And I thought that was really interesting. And as we see him in the flashbacks where we find out that, you know, basically one day Ben says, we're done. You killed them all. Good job. And Saeed's like, that's it. And then when Ben comes back and Saeed feels like he's trying to be manipulated into doing Ben's bidding and doesn't want to fall for it is where the bloom falls off the rose and he starts to turn on Ben because we weren't quite sure how they fell out from Saeed being his attack dog to being, you know, his, his guy who, tells Hurley like anything Benjamin Linus says, do the opposite. And we find out how he got on the flight because he never wanted to come back to the island, truly. But that girl, Ilana from Ajira Air is a bounty hunter who captured him because of someone that he killed for Ben. So I thought that was all interesting in figuring out the sort of how and why of Saeed. And as all of this on-island stuff is happening where dharma does not trust him they don't believe anything he's saying and james can only do so much because he gets outvoted, and he's in this weird spot where like he knows saeed is not a threat in the greater sense but they can't step up and stop what's going to happen but the person who does stop what's going to happen is young ben who Starts to form a bond with Saeed, and we know it is because Saeed is going to try and do something nefarious, but young Ben is just gullible and sick of his father, Roger Workman, beating on him and treating him like garbage, which we do see a bit in this moment. So it was cool to have um, you know, more of that Ben backstory, but we still aren't sympathetic to Ben, even though he is just a, a kid getting beat up. Because we know everything he's done. Were you feeling sorry for young Ben? Or do you keep those feelings in check because he's such a bastard?
0: I definitely keep those feelings in check because he is such a bastard. And I did not feel any sympathy, you know, when Roger Workman came and beat him up. I don't know what I don't know who the young actor that they got to play uh, young Ben, but you kind of see the evilness in young Ben. You know, just a just a just a slight little hint of it, but you do see it. Do you think that all those people that Ben had Saeed killed, Do you think that those people were a problem for Ben, and and, and that do you think that Ben lied to Saeed about the real reason why he wanted
1: those individuals dead? I think there is a good chance that the list that Ben had was half real and half people Ben just wanted out of the way. I feel like it's probably like a a 60-40 split.
0: Uh, The last little thing that I really, really loved about this episode is there's a very, very small moment with Kate and Juliet in a garage. And I really love their interaction. And Juliet says something to the effect of, I'm really happy that you're here, but... You know, I was kind of looking for an excuse to tell you to stay away. I'm not going to do that. The I love the way that Evangeline takes Juliet's comment and says, I know, and I'm basically over it.
1: That was one of the highlights of this. So just previous to that is where Kate is eating breakfast at like the cafeteria. And Hurley mentions that Juliet and Sawyer are a thing. They are in a relationship and Kate is like taken aback and surprised. And she finds out that, you know, Jack knew about it and didn't tell her. And so she has some time to process this because it is like very surprising information that she's trying to wrap her head around. And I think we can see like the head and the heart battle happening in those moments on Kate's face. And so then when she does have that run in with Juliet she does say like, yeah, I, I, you know, how's it going? I know you and James are together and I hope that that's great. And Juliet says, oh, what a relief that, you know, because I was trying to figure out how to say it to you without it sounding like I was telling you to stay the fuck away, um, like some sort of jealous, crazy person. But also in those moments where she's joking about how she didn't know how to say it without it sounding like that, She is kind of saying that. So I found it interesting that she was like, I was trying to find a way to tell you. So it didn't sound like stay away, but also stay away because I got a good thing going here and I don't want you ruining it. So I love that that she's saying that she didn't want it to come off that way, but she also is almost explicitly saying that. I particularly liked the way that the writers wrote out that scene.
0: On that note, uh, we are all out of time for this week's edition of Radio 815. Uh, Listen, if you guys like the show and you want to reach out to us, uh, there are a couple ways to do that. First, you can just reach out to us on Twitter by using the hashtag 815 or you can follow us on our personal Twitter account. It is JJUniverse815. If you just want to talk to me and bother me on Twitter, Uh, You can reach me. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But Matt, if the good folks at home want to reach you, what would be the place for them to do that?
1: Twitter is the best spot, at Matt Crandall.
0: All right, guys. Until next time, as I often say, we'll talk back soon.